Hey, welcome back everybody to the Presidio Perspective. My name is Dustin Tembrook, president of Presidio Capital Management. Wanted to bring you a special episode today to talk about what's going on in our banking system here in the US. There's a lot of concern, a lot of fear out there, understandably so, and we wanna kinda of shed light on what's going on. Uh, this namely all centers around what happened on Friday, March 10th, with the failure of the nation's 16th largest bank, Silicon Valley Bank, who was put into receivership by the FDIC. And so this has caused quite a ripple effect of concern. How could this bank at one time that boasted over $200 billion of customer deposits or, or assets on the balance sheet, you know, with, with a stock price of a market cap of over $40 billion, how could a $40 billion company just, what, 18 months ago, not even that, about 15 months ago, this company's with $40 billion, all of a sudden they fail. So how does that happen? So there's a lot of news going around about deregulation, bad banking, cronyism, too much government intervention, not enough. So let's kind of sift through it and go through this on the Presidio perspective. All right, so let's get into it. Talk about what happened. After I tell you a little bit about this story, I'm gonna have Dave Cheney, our portfolio manager here, director of wealth management and chartered financial analyst, uh, talk to you about the implications that is going on into our financial system, what it means for US markets, stocks, bonds, and markets globally, um, so that you can be prepared of what's going on in your portfolio and know what we're doing here at Presidio. So again, who was Silicon Valley Bank? You know, a bank in Silicon Valley, headquartered in Santa Clara, California. So who are their customers? We're talking about VC firms, tech startups, big tech, uh, life sciences, healthcare. And think about just all the companies that were wildly successful for the last few years, uh, especially post-COVID when interest rates were at zero. Okay, again, these this interest rates at zero, growth companies, unprofitable tech companies, saw just a balloon in asset value with all the money chasing them. Okay, Web3, crypto, AI, anything that sounded tech didn't need to make money. Everybody wanted to invest in it. And there's no cost of capital. Interest rates were zero. Uh, so it didn't matter if the company was going to not make money for five years. I'm not making money on my capital. It doesn't cost me anything to own something that could be a unicorn and make me 100x whatever. So that's the Silicon Valley model. Um, so these companies had tons of money. And Silicon Valley Bank went to attract them. They want to attract them, and and so um, those are their customers. Not only these these companies that had tons of money to put on deposit at the banks, but their executives who were well paid and had tons of money as well. And so, you know, there's some talk about you know what happened with their business model. That was really a big concern. One of the big concerns with Silicon Valley Bank and their failure was their business model. So just like in your portfolio. If you put all of your money in growth, you put all your money in, in tech and NASDAQ, one year it's gonna look like you're a genius, okay? You go all in on Bitcoin at the right time, you look really super smart. You know, you go a year later on any of those things and you can look like the, you know, the dumbest guy in the room. So which one is it? So, you know, when you have a concentrated business model, it looks like a concentrated portfolio. You're gonna have very high highs and very low lows. And that's what Silicon Valley Bank's business model was. 
It's not all banks' business model. In fact, it's not most banks' business model. But it definitely was with them. And so, you know, deregulation happened in 2018 during the Trump era. And there's a lot of headlines and news you're going to see about that because we love to get political in this country, especially with an election coming here in less than a, uh, in less than two years, about a year and a half out. Can't you wait? But anyway, so, you know, you're going to see all of that dominate the headlines. Look, it was uh, one of the things about the deregulation is that it removed the stress testing, but it, it didn't allow for banks to go and act like a hedge fund all of a sudden. Okay. And, 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 you know, in the end, what was Silicon Valley Bank investing in, unfortunately, treasuries, which, you know, meet the kind of reserve requirements and it's not an, a risky asset. So you got to kind of look to see what happened. Silicon Valley Bank had to go and compete for these really pro like big profitable, like where all the money was, these VC companies, these startups, these big tech companies, like everybody wants them as a client. So how does Silicon Valley Bank do it? You know, they offer perks to executives, they offer higher interest rates than their competitors, and that's where they're able to get the money. Now just go back a few years ago, if you can, go back three years ago, and um, you know, and for most of the time over the last 15 years, bonds, treasuries didn't pay interest. One to two percent, whether it's a two-year, ten-year, thirty-year bond, you really couldn't get yield, but you did get a little bit more if you bought the twenty or thirty-year bonds. Okay, so Silicon Valley Bank, with offering these perks and offering these higher interest rates, had to generate more interest on their portfolio. So what did it cause them to do? Buy government guaranteed, government secured, okay, minted by the Treasury loans that can pay a little bit higher yield. So very safe assets. Okay, they, they wouldn't have been scrutinized in any stress testing um, as far as taking risk, any credit risk with their portfolio. Now, what did this create? You know, quite a mismatch. Now, if you think of your portfolio, just like, you know, last year, I hate to remind you again of 2022, but let's just look at it. So you had the stock market go down, depending on where you're investing, 20 to 30%. And the bad part was, you know, the worst year we've had on record for stocks and bonds combined. The worst year on record where bonds declined, the ag down about 13 to 15% uh, last year. So aggregate bond index. So bonds, think of that. That's what basically Silicon Valley Bank is investing in. Okay, and longer duration bonds did worse. So maybe they're down 20, 25. So here you have quite a mismatch. So customers put money on deposit. Okay, that bank now holds that money. They have to pay that customer money, but are going to go buy longer duration bonds. Okay, so they could generate a little bit higher interest than what they're paying that customer. All very secure, government credit by the U.S. Treasury. But as interest rates rose, what they had to do, potentially pay this depositor more money, but even if they didn't, what happened to their bond portfolio is it went down. It's because bonds have an inverse relationship to interest rates, as you know, if you follow this show. And so bonds have come down. And so their portfolio now, there's this mismatch of assets. Now, those assets aren't going to pay off at 25% down. If you put $1,000 in a U.S. Treasury for 30 years, you're going to get $1,000 30 years from now. But they're trading at a pretty massive discount today. So this created an issue because now you have customer deposits, 97% of them uninsured. 97% of customer deposits at Silicon Valley Bank were uninsured. These are big clients, big customers. The 250000 FDIC limit does not apply. So what are customer deposits? They're basically good for a day. 
any customer of a bank could ask for their money the very next day. So banks have requirements. Of course, we know that banks don't hold all the money in a vault. They lend it out, and that's what it stimulates our banking system, right? That's why we get loans for businesses or homes or college. Our customer deposits get lent out. They have to keep a certain amount there. So, well, here's an issue, okay? So now, last Wednesday, uh, it'd be March 8th, you had... $42 billion of redemptions, deposits flowing out of Silicon Valley Bank. It was about, at that time, 25% of their total deposit base. This is way too big for a bank to sustain. Um, you know, that coupled with the fact that their deposits, the assets were already at a 20 to 25% discount. So they had to scramble. The last-ditch effort that they could do to cust cover customer deposits and prevent a bank and keep the banking uh, reserve requirements was to raise capital. So the very next day, Thursday, March 9th, they tried to do an equity raise. They tried to raise, I think, $2.6 billion. I don't know how $2.6 billion covers, um, you know, the the... 25 billion i think they were short but that's what they said they needed either way that fuzzy math seemed uh difficult to everybody else plus there's no saying that anybody everybody else wasn't just going to head for the door and ask for their money needless to say the equity raise failed on friday fdic stepped in put the bank in receivership and took over running the bank um now what's interesting since then is when the fdic stepped in they saw this as a potential crisis, and arguably so. 97% uh, of the money was uninsured, okay? So FDIC basically not insuring it. When the FDIC stepped in, they insured all deposits. Why? How could they do this? Because they have the Fed as their backstop. And the Fed was basically able to enact a program to guarantee all those treasuries all those government government interest-bearing securities that are traded at 25% discount at par, okay? So that stabilizes the bank balance sheet and says, we'll give you a one-year loan against those assets at par. So you can borrow against those assets that are trading at a discount, right? So think of your home as trading at a million, and then it goes down in value, and it's now worth 750, and the bank says, oh, we'll give you a loan as if it was worth a million. That's essentially what the Fed is doing, on these government uh, securities trading at a discount. So what is this? You know, this is um, required, okay? We, we can't have systemic risk in our banking system, okay? So it's really um, what drives, you know, a lot of the economy. And so if we have uh, a loss of confidence in banks, you know, if those of you who ever watched A Wonderful Life and you remember George Bailey and the savings and loan and them running out of money, right? And they're all in there and there's a run on the bank and everyone's asking for their money. And George is telling them, you know, your money's not here. You know, it's in Susie's home and it's in David's car and it's in Joe's business. You know, your that's where your money is. I don't have your money. Um, and how much do you need? You know, that's kind of what the federal government needs to do is, is have that confidence again so that we all understand how this banking system works. So they have to create a backstop, say unlimited, we'll do whatever it takes. We're not going to let these banks fail, okay, because of hyper hysteria or fear or what it might be. So they stepped in and Silicon Valley Bank, even with their bad business pr practices, et cetera, made some bad decisions with how they structure their balance sheet and made some really, um, you know, just bad business, non-diversified portfolio of, of clients offering them too much, short-sighted, and they lost. 
So now the Fed has to, has to step in. But this is unconstrained liquidity that we're offering. Um, it's kind of pseudo infinite quantitative easing because uh, there's no limit that the FDIC and the Fed says they can do. So um, if you have, you know, this kind of thing going on, you can kind of look at that as quantitative easing. And what does that mean? Well, that's inflationary. And what are we trying to do? We're trying to stop inflation. So this could be a potential problem for longer. This is something that we've been saying. Hopefully you've been paying attention. Okay, so inflation higher for longer. Um, we'll see. Fed's paying attention. Have they gone far enough? Um, and that's what I want Dave to talk to you about. Because there's an old adage um, out there that the Fed says they tighten until something breaks. Um, so we have a break. Is it enough? So everyone's paying attention to the Fed. And they've got quite a, quite a work to do to try to tamper down inflation. But they can, of course, cause a banking collapse or financial crisis. Which one's worse? Which one's worse? Which one's better? And how should we play it in our portfolio? So thanks for tuning in today. And now let's have Dave come on and tell you what's going on in the markets and what we're looking at and how you should play it. Thank you, Dustin. Great overview on where we are in relation to the Silicon Valley Bank and the banking crisis. I'd like to focus on the market implications and focus on three areas, the Fed, the equity market, and fixed income markets. Let's start with the Fed. The Fed has a mandate to control inflation and to promote economic stability. Those two goals are in conflict right now. We see inflation at 6%, still well above the Fed's mandate, but also see economic risk increasing, the risk of recession increasing. The market notes that as well. Before the Silicon Valley Bank crisis, market expected the Fed to raise interest rates by 0.25 or 0.5% at their meeting next week. After the crisis, market now expects the Fed to either pause or increase rates by just a quarter of a percent at their meeting next week. Moreover, before the crisis, the market expected the Fed to increase rates throughout the year. Market pricing now expects the Fed to start decreasing rates in their June meeting. It's important to note that the Fed impacts the economy at a lag. We're now seeing the impact of some of their earlier rate hikes. So I think it's likely that the Fed from here will take a much more measured increase in interest rates and keep interest rates significantly higher than they were in the pre-2022 levels. So how does that impact equity markets? Right now, S&P is roughly 7% above where it was in the lows of October of last year. I think it's likely that we retest those lows and maybe even go lower. So in the short term, we think it's important for investors to keep some dry powder on the sidelines. But fear will eventually subside. We don't believe this is an 0708 type systemic risk crisis. And coming out of this, think that there will be opportunities. But we also believe that those opportunities require a new playbook. No longer will we be in the zero interest rate, zero inflationary environment. We'll much more likely be in a higher rate, higher inflationary environment. In that environment, investors must focus on companies that have strong balance sheets, that return capital to investors in the form of stable and rising dividends, 
companies that offer positive free cash flows, and companies that trade at reasonable valuations. On the fixed income side, last year was a year in which both stocks and bonds fell at the same time. This year, bonds have offered investors some diversification, as prices of bonds have increased even as prices of stocks have come down. The longer maturity bonds have done the best this year. Investors have taken the opportunity to lock in higher rates for a longer period of time. We also look at credit spreads. Credit spreads are the difference between high-yield bonds and treasuries. Before the SVB crisis, credit spreads were about 4 to 4.5%. They're now at about 5.5%. We maintain our bias towards high-quality fixed income at this point, but also note that investors have historically been well-rewarded for entering into some of those high-yield bonds at spreads between 6 to 6.5%, so something we're keeping a close eye on going forward. So, in conclusion, recession risks have increased, but it's important to note that the market is not necessarily equal to the economy. The market typically bottoms at the worst point of the recession. Investors who wait for the economy to fully recover often miss those early cycle gains. So, we remain cautious in the short term, but in the long term, continue to look for opportunities and opportunities in line with the new investment playbook. So, thank you so much for joining us on the Presidio Perspective, and we'll see you next time. 